Welcome to Psyched for Psychology, a Nystrom & Associates podcast. Our hosts, Michelle Iverson and Brett Cushing, are both licensed marriage and family therapists at Nystrom & Associates. Each week, they talk about all things mental health and therapy, and you get a chance to dive into specific psychology topics that help promote personal development and wellness. And now, here are your hosts, Michelle and Brett. Hello, everyone. Thank you so much for joining us today. Today, you are going to be listening to my lovely voice and my lovely voice alone, because unfortunately, Brett Cushing is not here for our podcast for today. Um, We are going to miss him so much, but he will be back again with us next week. So instead, you're just listening to me, if it's the first time that you and I have met. I am Michelle Iverson, a licensed marriage and family therapist and a site director here at Nystrom. So this is going to be a discussion today, I think a very, very helpful and timely discussion, um, actually part two of our work psychology podcast that we've been doing. If you missed part one, that was our discussion last time all about joy to the workplace and how individual employees can find joy in their work. And today we're going to be looking a little bit more at the flip side of that coin and looking at more the systems and in our workplaces and importantly, how they can become trauma informed workplaces for people. And so when we think about joy in the workplace, and even that idea of just being positive and employees going to work and just really having an overall state of well-being, that is the thing we need in order to have our biggest protective factor, the things that will protect us the most against burnout at work. And so like we said in our podcast last time, there's so many things that that employee can do to find joy. But workplaces, and I think of mid-level managers pretty specifically, especially if you happen to work in a large organization, they are often the gatekeepers of how employees experience well-being, how they can prevent burnout. Um, They are key and vital to helping to keep a pulse on how individual employees are doing and mitigate that stress. And on top of that, they are the resource, the guides to helping people to access resources and benefits that they might need. Employees spend so much time in the workplace that accounts for a large day of life as an adult. And so we talk about in therapy, in psychology, about the home and making the home a place of well-being But we need to start applying those principles to the workplace as well, too. So when we think about workplaces and the types of work that they do to bring psychology and mental health into the workplace, we usually hear about work-life balance. And trauma-informed workplaces acknowledge work-life imbalance is very important. Um, But this is also about how does our management, how does the company view their employees as being whole people? with complex lives. If we can view that, then companies can help employees be able to better manage what that work-life balance might look like, and that alone improves job performance and employee satisfaction. There's a lot of research that goes into this. There's research that shows that organization leaders with even just three hours 
of something called MHAT training. It's called Mental Health Awareness Training. Ended up having better attitudes about mental health and having a higher motivation to promote mental health at work. One study study even showed that leadership training that included things like sleep and mental health promotion actually was shown to reduce turnover and improve job satisfaction among their teams. And then on top of that too, equity, diversity, and inclusion trainings are also necessary through research. They are required to help to support employee mental health. Those really require leaders and managers to fully understand and carry out inclusive policies and practices to welcome diverse points of views and to foster what a psychologically safe workplace is. And so that's where we start to come into this idea of a trauma-informed workplace. So if you are a therapist or you've worked in the psychology field, you've probably heard about this term of trauma-informed treatments. And we take essentially those same principles and we apply that to work. Why do we do that? Well, for one, I think now more than ever, we have far more employees who have faced collective trauma. We are talking about um, a large-scale trauma that has been endured from people from the pandemic, um, from large communities due to social and racial injustices. It's really no wonder that we have 7 in 10 employees reporting that this period of time throughout the pandemic as being the most stressful time of their entire professional career. But really, in reality... Trauma is not new when it comes to organizations in the workplace, and it's not going away. There are estimates that there are 6 in 10 men and 5 in 10 women experiencing at least one trauma, and approximately about 6% of our entire U.S. adult population is going to experience PTSD at some point in their life. Trauma, distress, is coming from a wide array of causes. This could be things like domestic violence, assault, racism, bias, harassment, economic uncertainties, political division, and more. So we have to, even if I was a therapist who wasn't necessarily a trauma therapist, we still encourage and want all therapists to know and understand trauma-informed practices because our clients coming to see us are still being affected by all of these things. And so with that, the CDC in an organization called SAMHSA have told therapists in order to do trauma-informed treatment, there are six principles that you need to include and incorporate in your approach. Those are things like safety, trustworthiness and transparency, peer support, collaboration and mutuality, empowerment, voice and choice and acknowledgement and understanding of cultural, historical, and gender issues. So let's talk about these some more, and let's think about how all of that can be applied to the workplace. Let's think about the first one, safety. What does safety in the workplace mean to you? Safety has to mean safety for all, not just for those who might look like us, or have the same job position as us. 
when we have organizations that are trauma aware, they would offer critical incident debriefing. So if a traumatic incident that happened um, to a collection of staff, volunteers, um, if they were to witness that, of course, safety would mean a trauma-informed organization is going to respond to that. But this also means that organizations ask employees, ask other people what safety means to them. And in some policies, they're going to ensure safe spaces are there for customers and employees alike. So this has to include being aware of people's physical, emotional, and interpersonal safety. And we have to ensure that we're doing that across all ages, all cultures, ethnicities, orientations, identities, or any other demographics. How about our second one, trustworthiness and transparency? I want you to think, what would feel like a trustworthy and transparent work organization to you? These would be organizations that are very open about their process of how decisions are made. And that includes even making difficult decisions. And workplaces who invite other voices to participate in those conversations as well. As an example, as therapists, we always need to value and listen to our clients. And if that is missing, we wouldn't be able to engage in a truly therapeutic relationship with that client. For example, would you want a therapist who kept secrets and withheld important information from you? What would it be like to feel like you had a boss who did the same? How about our third example? Peer support. Any organization that creates opportunities for deeper mutual connections between and among all of the staff is being trauma-informed. So how does an organization create and support opportunities for your colleagues to meet and share in a safe environment? As therapists, we get a lot out of our, what we do is consult time to meet with each other and share knowledge, but we also use that to support each other. Um, I know at least for myself, but I think probably a number would agree with me that we wouldn't feel as, um, as as we would be able to do our jobs as well as a therapist without that consult time. But also, we would probably really struggle in our roles as well, too, without having an organization that supports that level of peer support. All right, let's go to number four, collaboration and mutuality. We really can't avoid the fact that, yes, there tends to be hierarchies in organizations, with different roles, different levels of responsibility. But in an organization, especially one that's trauma-informed, we want to be looking for, is there a spirit of mutuality, of people standing together? Even with a hierarchy, people and policies need to support staff and stakeholders to reflect and attend to their own well-being, as this is really what helps you to build connection with other people. This is something called a shoulder-to-shoulder -shoulder approach, and that can be done even with a hierarchy. Number five, empowerment, voice, and choice. Employees living and working through this pandemic and trauma survivors, and keep in mind, we've got people in the workplace who are sometimes both, are already 
resilience. Empowerment means that they continue to support people's inner resilience. So how do, does an organization do when it comes to shining a light on the strengths and the abilities we see in employees that they might not be able to see for themselves? A person must always have choice when it comes to the work that they do. Finally, number six, cultural, historical, and gender issues. So what does this mean? If we go off of SAMHSA's definition, they are saying that an organization who attunes to this particular key tenet of being trauma-informed. That organization is actively moving past cultural stereotypes and biases, including anything based on race, ethnicity, sexual orientation, age, geography, so on. That they are offering gender-responsive services, that they leverage this healing value of traditional cultural connections, and that they, at an organizational level, are recognizing and addressing historical trauma. So when we think about all of these key tenets of what it's like to bring psychology about being trauma-informed to an entire workplace, an entire organization, you'll notice what this is not about. This is not about babying employees. This is about acknowledging a reality. Employees have experienced trauma, sometimes multiple kinds of trauma. This is a way of organizations supporting employee mental health by avoiding any unnecessary traumatization while they're at work. This is not therapy, but work that follows these principles and organizations that do can be therapeutic and transformative. This is also not about being negative. This is about recognizing and building on the resilience of those people and of the organization by approaching all this from what we call a systems level, looking at a bird's eye view. And finally, it's not just about being nice and kind. I would really argue that's probably a bare minimum, bare minimum that we want from our workplaces. This is about more, and it's certainly more about compassion, and empathy. So if that feels like a lot of information, I would not blame you if it felt like a lot. Um, there is a wonderful author. Her name is Catherine Manning. She's the author of a book called The Empathetic Workplace. She took a lot of these principles and she summed it up for organizations to think about it in just three, what, we, what I'm going to call I statements. Um, and if you know me, I'm a marriage and family therapist. Um, I love I statements. That's some of the core piece of communication work that I do with clients. And so I always love these. But she came up with three I statements to really understand how a trauma-informed workplace would need to function. So her first I statement, she said, was this, I will be heard. This is acknowledgement. So an acknowledgement can be as simple as a manager saying to an employee whose spouse is passing away, thank you for letting me know. I'm very sorry for all that you're going through. Or an office-wide communication that addresses a community trauma. Another second I statement, I can get the help I need. This is also called support. 
there are tangible forms of support that people need in times of trauma and distress, like mental health resources, referrals to medical information, and assistance with funerals and other expenses. In her third I statement, I will be treated fairly. This is trust. Trauma-informed organizations need to have policies and procedures that are genuinely supportive employees of employees that are in need and ensure that these policies are widely known and followed. Policies should robustly implement those organizations' stated values. Training on these need to be thorough, effective, and ongoing. It's really important that leaders, and especially if you are a leader in an organization or someone who even has a relationship with their boss where they feel like they could bring this up to them to kind of talk about and look at things like, how are we doing as an organization at being trauma-informed? It's the leaders who are vocal in the commitment to following these values um, or maybe adding these values as a part of the organization's current values and then being unwavering and upholding them that are going to support employees' mental health. So for people, and I always want to make a point on this too, for people to feel safe raising these issues too, as leaders, if any leaders are listening, your employees need to understand too, the rules and trust that rules are going to be applied fairly and transparently. And that the commitment of the organization overall is in to following a lot of these principles that we talked about today. Well, thank you so much for joining me on my own today. Um, I really appreciate uh, the time and all of our listeners who take time to listen to our podcast every single week. Um, we've really, really enjoyed your emails. Um, we have um, more than you know, uh, really recognize that um, me and Brett have um, enjoyed every single week um, coming together, getting to record these for you, and to really feel like we've got an opportunity uh, for every listener to learn and to grow and to maybe take some of this knowledge, especially with this topic today, and pass it along uh, to be able to feel like we can affect change. Um, at higher levels, and in this case, in helping more organizations to realize um, what it's like to be trauma-informed and the in positive impacts of becoming trauma-informed organizations, the more we can spread that message, um, I think the more that uh, Brett and I are going to be really excited at um, our ability to pass this info along and have that positive impact um, for everyone that we can reach. All right. That was my little heartfelt thank you so much for all of our listeners. And I hope to talk to you again soon. We've got another recording. We'll be both back in the recording studio for next week. Thank you. Have a great day. Thank you as always for listening and please be sure to leave us a review. While this podcast can't be a replacement for therapy, we hope you enjoyed our discussion today and join us again next time. Nice German Associates is always available to those who are struggling. If you find yourself in need of support and help, please check us out at nystromcounseling.com.